story of the first generation Children of the brave souls that came over from East African nations Making the most of what we got, despite all that we're facing Get that education, give me that information Okay, this is the podcast, in case you ain't know So drop what you're doing and tune into the show to tune into the show Need to tune into the show Hello, everyone. Hi. We, we are, are back. <laughs> we sure are. We always keep promising that we'll be back sooner than we actually end up coming back. So Our next promise should just be like, we'll be back when we'll be back. I know. We'll see you when we see you. Yeah. Sayonara. <laughs> XOXO. Gossip Girl? No. <laughs> I, don't, I didn't have a comeback for that. Okay. <laughs> I just had XOXO. <laughs> Well, we are back with another episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. This is Sunini. And this is Meti. Team and Jadgar. Back with another subject to talk about regarding the international student experience. Um, we joked about it a little bit at the start, but we apologize for not being more regular <laughs> with our releases. We're trying, but, you know, unexpected stuff comes up. No more apologies. You don't hear Beyonce apologizes when, like, apologizing when she, like, drops an album while we're sleeping. I love how you're comparing us to Beyonce. I don't Um, know if we're there yet. We are totally there. We are queens. We slay. Okay. (laughs) We are flawless. Check the Beyonce boxes, all of them. She recently saw the Homecoming documentary, and (laughs) she thinks she's a little bit more than she is. But, wow. Okay, let's delve into our topic for today, which unfortunately doesn't have anything to do with Beyonce or concerts. It can be a sexy topic, though. (laughs) Sure. Sure. So today we're going to talk about the job search process because we're recording this in April. Depending on the schedule of our production team, this might be released in April slash May slash June. They're busy. Yeah. They're a busy bunch. But um, this is around the time that, you know, seniors are um, prepping or finalizing or going through the job search process. And it's it's a complex thing in and of itself for anybody. But for international students, because we're dealing with the intricacies of our visas and our statuses, I think it becomes a little bit more challenging to navigate. So. We wanted to use the next, you know, 40 minutes or so to talk about our experiences with this job search and to really give you all some strategies that worked for us. I think what I appreciated my senior year was being told, hey, these were things that I did, you know, actionable items, and this worked for me. I don't, sometimes I feel like we focus more on the kumbayas and this is, this is how it is, this is the process. At the end of the day, people are looking for actionable items, and this is what we're going to try and give you today. Absolutely, and, and I think what I've learned from especially just listening to people talk about, like, the job search process, there's a lot of nuggets in there that are useful just for life. Like, there's a lot of the action items that you'll hear of are not just for your job search process. They're after you get the job. How do you secure the promotion? Um, how do you climb up the ladder? How do you get to grad school? Like all of the stuff that you'll hear, all the tips that you'll get about interviewing, resumes, networking, that world will like haunt you pretty much for the rest of your life will will be very, very like key things for you to going 
for you to do going forward. Um, so yeah, this this episode will be useful, hopefully for you to come back and listen to at some point in the future when you're not really looking for a job. Or if you're like a junior or sophomore, like this is definitely an episode that should not be jumped because the connections that you should be making right now are the valuable connections that will serve you going forward. So yeah, we can definitely jump into that. Yeah. Um, to start off, I would say, I think the one thing that I wish I had known years ago wow it really has been years since I graduated um years ago when I was going through the job search process the traditional route doesn't work for many people unless you're in a very technical field you're in a very niche field where you're being specifically sought out the traditional oh I see a job posting send in my resume being called in by a recruiter that's not how it goes for a lot of us. That's not how it went for me, at least the successful ones. The ones where I took that route, I didn't really hear from them. I didn't get a rejection. I just never heard back. And I used to take that so personally. But at the end of the day, I think it makes sense because look at the job market. It's very competitive. Thousands and thousands of people are graduating. They're all qualified, have good grades, have great stories. So a company will be receiving 5,000 resumes for a single position. What metrics can be used to sort those out? Like, unless they're putting a face to the resume. So when I say traditional routes don't work, I mean the traditional virtual process is archaic. I think it should be retired for a lot of fields, to be honest with you. The the networking aspect, and network is, it's a tricky word because I feel like it's a word that's overused. We hear it everywhere, and I, I think, I know starting off, I wasn't really sure, like, what does networking mean? And networking doesn't always take a professional setting. Sometimes your friends are your networks, your family are your networks. They're any, any relationship that you can use you can leverage um to make connections to put a face to the name because when people people rarely forget faces people forget resumes people forget names but they rarely forget faces and and stories so I would say that was the one thing that I learned a little bit later on uh, maybe after two or three months of just hardcore sending out resumes 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 and I think at some point it hit me hey um, maybe I should focus on fostering relationships. Maybe I should focus on reaching to networks, even networks that I might not necessarily have at hand right now. The alumni network from my alma mater was one that I used. That's actually how I ended up getting this job because the, the practice um, leader of our office at the time was a Mount Holyoke alum. So I reached out to her um, and there was a connection there, even though she didn't know me you know, hey, I'm a Mount Holyoke student, and I, and whenever you're reaching out to these people, I think, don't, don't be so direct early on, because at the end of the day, they, they know that you're looking for a job, they know you're looking for opportunities, but also let them know that you, you, you're just also trying to learn. I think how I framed it initially with a lot of my initial outreaches is, hey, can you guide me? Can you have a 30-minute conversation with me just to give me a sense of what I need to focus on. That way, you're giving them a little bit more ownership in your process. And they feel a little bit more invested, even though 
you're a stranger. And be prepared for no replies. Some of them are not going to reply. They're busy. They have their own stuff going on. But those that do are going to appreciate the fact that you're looking for insight and not just an opportunity. Um, And I think those will open more doors for you. Absolutely. I think for that networking piece, in addition to what Sanini, like what you've mentioned, I think the key is like network with curiosity. So I say that to say like people love to talk about themselves. So like they, so in business school, we have to do a lot of networking, like networking calls, like the world, the word network has just like, like I want to gag when I hear it at this point, but it's, it's about like you ask the people what they like about the company, what they do. Like it has to be centered about them. That's the one thing we've been told over and over again, because people love talking about themselves. If you help them unleash something about themselves that they probably hadn't thought of by asking an insightful question about the job that they do on the daily basis, then they will be more willing to help you. It's just, it's just simple human psychology. It's like just asking insightful questions for them to remember you by. And then don't forget to follow up after you network with them. Like that, it, it's so essential for for you to actually like solidify who you are after you meet the person to say hey thank you so much for this thing that you talked about and and make sure that you you mention that one piece that they talked about in in a little bit more detail not in like a canned response thank you for talking about x or it could just be like thank you for helping me clarify the understanding of like what you do in this marketing space with xyz company it was really impactful i'll keep in touch and make their their jobs as easy as possible to keep in touch with you to remember you and it's i think when i was in college i like didn't like going to those talks that happen like people will be like oh like alums from whatever you're coming to 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 talk to you or like having a panel and then and then afterwards will be a a reception and then I would go to the panel I'd listen to what they have to say but then the reception piece I'd be like oh my god this is so awkward like what am I gonna go say like and then there's like this dreaded circle of people that like talk to them and and it's so hard to like just get a word in and stuff don't hate that piece about it just go like just go whatever you say just say hi take their card email them afterwards add them on LinkedIn LinkedIn is your best friend it's actually very like I've heard this is probably like very anecdotal of people that have advertised themselves so well on LinkedIn um, and like been so active if you're active on LinkedIn half as much as you're active on Facebook that'll get you ways like just adding people on LinkedIn like talking about what interests you talking about your values posting some thoughtful you know like articles thoughtful um you know sort of quotes about about what like the the kind of space that you want to be working in just being very active on LinkedIn to kind of help people see your career progression that'll take you ways because people live online these days that that is the key place for you to exist and actually make a mark and try and, and use that for you to like leverage a way to get a job I think that's very important um CDC that is your friend, um, especially as an international, I think getting in touch with the CDC, I did that, I think my first year, like towards like March or something when I was searching for like internships. Um, and then I, I made contact with one of the people in the CDC who I pretty much like emailed back and forth with for, for the rest of my college career. And that person happened to be like my advocate for a lot of jobs. Like I called that person when I needed to negotiate for my salary at my new job, um, gave them a call and I said, hey, these are my priorities. You've known me for these many years. Like how should I go about negotiating this deal? So I think making a really good connection with your career development office earlier on in your college career that is so key because they'll help you craft your resume they'll be your advocates for whatever you want them to be um 
they'll be honestly like they'll they'll be your friend in your job search and like your your it's in general like your career progression the cdc people have been like such a great support to me throughout college i cannot thank them enough and they are actually useful even after you graduate so that's something that you should definitely leverage because i have a friend of mine that's actually like trying to break into a new career space that she wasn't in before and she has to go through headhunters to like actually and try and get a job and they're the ones that tell you how to edit like your resumes and stuff they're useful to help you like get you in front of somebody but they're not very useful to help you craft your story in a way that you want to get to somewhere so you really want to get to know somebody earlier on in your college career um whether like whatever point you are on is if you're first year second year third year or like senior that's currently looking for a job try and establish a relationship with the career development office advisors as early as you can because they they are so skilled they've gone through like thousands and thousands of students through that job search so they'll be a key like source of information for you i would say one of the reasons why you know we do this podcast is because we're trying to have a conversation with people who are going through the the college um, process right now but in a way we're trying to talk to versions of ourselves that we wish we could have you know, reached, um, you know, I wish I could have a conversation with my sophomore, my junior self, because I feel like there were things that I did or didn't do that might have helped me a little bit in my career trajectory. So these are ways for us to kind of make up for things that we didn't have, because we're, we're trying to tell you these things that we kind of learned the hard way. Um, So um, utilizing resources on campus is really one of them. Um, you know, the, the CDC, the um, center, se- I was career. about to say Center for Disease Control. Oh, it could be. <laughs> it could be, but uh, the Career Development Center, I um, actually worked there one summer, but did I utilize any of the resources? Absolutely not. Um, and I don't, I don't know. I don't know if it was just me thinking at the time that it wasn't something I needed to worry about, but there was just, I don't know. While I was in college, I just didn't make use of resources that were there, like in front of my face that I could have gotten for free, where once you're out of there, like all of those resources, you actually have to pay to get um maybe you pay with your time maybe you pay with your money but they just become more difficult to access so utilize resources that are available to you and it's going to look a little bit different for the international student but you'll still get a lot out of it that can help kind of structure the process help give you some insights about the do's and don'ts um another thing i will say is map out your long-term plan and I think you know when you're what 2021 or graduating from college you you give yourself a lot of room to not have it all figured out which is completely okay but I do think that you have a sense of what gives you energy you have a sense of classes that you took that you enjoyed and classes that you took that you absolutely hated those are steps that you've taken to figure out what it is that you want to do take those and try to give a high level give yourself a high level outline of what your long-term goal is and let me give you an example I knew when I graduated that moving back home moving back to Ethiopia was something that I really wanted to do and that was clear for me then and it's still clear for me now but did I take any steps to make that happen to make that a reality no 
I started working in a field that would have no relevance to my country. So it's like, I look back and I'm like, what was I doing? Um, And there was this episode of How I Met Your Mother, because, of course, all the profound things I've learned are from How I Met Your Mother. But there was an episode with the mother, um, and she was having a conversation with a friend of hers, and he asked her what it was she wanted to do, and she told him, and he said, from now on, every single decision that you make, little or small, should be to take you one step closer to making that a reality. And I was like, wow, why didn't I do that? Like, I wasn't... I wasn't confused about what I wanted. I already knew. But what I did in terms of the opportunities that I pursued or the jobs that I was looking at, they weren't to take me any step closer to what I wanted. They were actually taking me away from it. So while you're graduating, really like think about what you want. And it's okay for it to be, I don't know. That's fine. But for those of you who do know, don't make decisions out of fear. Don't make decisions because you're you're scared, because you feel like you're out of time, because you feel like, oh, I need to stay in this country one more year. If that's not truly what you want to do, if that's not what gives you energy, if that's not what makes you stay up at night giggling like a little child because you're working on something that you're passionate about. So really figure out what it is that you want to do and pursue that wholeheartedly. Um, I know sometimes the visa situation might make you feel like you're um, kind of going into the race um, with a lot of the odds stacked up against you, and logistically they might be, but at the end of the day, this is where you have to stop pursuing things with a scarcity mentality. Um, And a lot of us who come from, you know, these developing countries, these so-called third world countries, I think we're so used to scarcity that it just manifests itself in any everything that we do. But it shouldn't. um, Don't make decisions out of fear. Make decisions that will take you closer to the things that you want to do. And, And the job search process is really the first big step that you take towards that. You know what the problem with international students is? We don't think about ourselves Mm -hmm. at all. And we've mentioned this in this podcast so many times. It appears in so many different ways in our lives because we're essentially like, even with with whatever we study in college, we don't, well, maybe I'm, I'm speaking for that general international population, but for me, at least I know I didn't study what I wanted in college. I studied what I thought my family wanted me to study and it was mm-hmm. I was stuck in that mentality for so long that by the time I was ready to graduate from college I was ready to go on and do grad school in pharmacology like what the fuck is pharmacology sorry for my French but um I mean def- like definition wise I know what that is but that's really not what I wanted to do I was so tired of looking in through a, a freaking microscope into cells and not even interacting with human beings for two or three days because I was just living in the lab and and I did that for consecutive like three summers because I had failed to think about what it is that I really wanted. I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to go be a researcher. I'm going to be a doctor. Like, because those were just the revered careers that I was taught all of my life. So because I had failed to think about what it is that I wanted, when I finally made like the brave decision of, okay, I'm going to go out and get a job, then I was like, okay, what am I going to sell myself on? So it, yes, I, I'm hardworking. I like, I'm focused. I can, I can sell all of that. But like, in terms of what gives me energy and what gives me passion, 
I didn't know how to speak about that. So, so one of the things, and I, and I say CDC so many times because those were the people I utilized the most when I was, when I was going through the job search process, because I was like, I'm going to switch completely from wanting to be in the lab for the rest of my life to, I don't know what I want to do. I'm going to go in a business and figure out which part of the business interests me because I didn't know where else to go. I just went there. And one of the first things they gave me was this like self-reflection book of essentially like it's personality like patterns that I've experienced like what gives me energy what gives me strength and all that stuff I had such a hard time filling it out because I didn't know what which parts of my personality fit in where or like what my personality was because I was so malleable to help to help myself get into the space that I thought I wanted not really thinking what energized me so in that sense, like, I think doing the self-reflection earlier on than later on is so, so crucial because if you do the hard work of thinking about what it is that, that you want to do, what it is that excites you, that is half the work right there. Like, recently I was in an interview um, that was very high stakes for me, and I was asked the question, what makes you unique? And you would think like at this point in my life that I've gone so far that I've gotten to grad school and I'm like planning on doing all these great things. I'm still in search of kind of solidifying, okay, this is what makes me so great. And that's because I, I always blame that on my, my upbringing. And a lot of our upbringings is from like these conservative cultures where we are, if we think about ourselves or if we talk about ourselves too much, we're these selfish people or like we revere ourselves too much. And and, and a lot of like the negative connotations that are associated with that so we avoid having to think about ourselves too much and so in that interview like I blanked out and I still think I like I think that's one of the biggest moments like if this if whatever I interviewed for doesn't end up coming through this is going to be the thing that taught me like I need to know what my value added is going to be like off the top of my head without even needing to think about it for a second so you need to know like xyz like i am focused i am playful i i am so i'm such a curious person and the combination of these things makes me fire for this role needs to be a spiel you have down for like like it's the back of your hand like it's something that you would fire off in your sleep so i would think i would say like in an american context when you're constantly having to sell yourself having that spiel ready to fire is absolutely crucial in any situation especially in networking situations especially in interviews where you're going to be hit with questions like this where you're asked to speak for yourself and you have to speak about it confidently I cannot stress that enough knowing that that key combination of traits that makes you the unique candidate is so crucial absolutely you know I I completely agree with you and I think another problem is we think of the job search process as a unilateral process mm-hmm. where it's just us selling ourselves to the company, but it's also the other way around. Um, and I think because, you know, again, we're having to deal with our visa limitations, we settle for positions that are subpar. Um, I remember right before I graduated, the first um, position that I, I got Um, I mean, a company that shall not be named, but I remember the compensation structure that they offered. And right now, I think back to, oh my God, if I had ended up working there, how would I have been able to make it work? And I took the offer. I even felt so much gratitude, even though the pay was 
subpar. Like, I don't know. It was minimum wage. This was minimum wage. Practically. And I don't know. And this was in D.C. So I don't know. I would not have been able to live in You could live on the metro. I'm sure they're fine. Like The metro's expensive, too. (laughs) That's true. That's the thing. I wouldn't have been able to live in the metro. What are you talking about? It's like 5.50 during peak hours. Um, But... I accepted it, and I didn't even try to negotiate. And this is the international student mentality. I was just so grateful to have received something that I was like, oh, I know the pay isn't great, but you know what? I'm going to just use this. So don't sell yourself short. Um, It is a two, it's a bilateral process. You are selling yourself to this company, but they're also selling themselves to you. They need to be able to show you that they value you from the beginning. And if they don't do that, why would you even want to work for such, for such a company? And I, I get it. Like, I know we're, we're talking about such things. We also have to be realistic. So at the end of the day, Yes, international students have their visa limitations to to deal with. So we also want to give you some practical strategies that work if staying in the U.S. is your number one priority. I think in that case, I would say tap into your international networks. Reach out to international alums who have gone through the process. Look at international friendly organizations. Your international friends are your big resources. If they've applied and gotten into a company, ask about it. And and this is the one thing that I wish I had done. Um, but bringing up the your visa situation was something that was so scary for me um during the interview i would pray i was like oh my god i hope they don't bring it up but bring it up bring it up let them know that this is what you're coming with and this is something that you need help with bring it at the forefront of the conversation don't even be scared to bring up a green card during your first interview do you know how much it costs a company to sponsor you for a green card how much does it cost less than ten thousand dollars they and this is something that's such a personal pain point um for me so i try not to delve too deep into it but i think initially um not even just during my job search process but even the last couple of years when i was working i was under the belief under the mindset that green card and h1b was just a huge liability for a company was such a huge thing to ask financially resource wise and i'm not saying that it's nothing it's definitely something but it's not a lot um and if you're giving your time your energy to this company and and most international they're honestly for inter and you would expect that there's such a high turnover rate with internationals but there but there really isn't on average they stay about seven years they there's not a lot of mobility um but it's not a lot to ask for and you can think of it as part of your total rewards package and this is where i'm bringing in my like benefits hat but we talk to our clients about their demographics and how they have a very um like diverse workforce and People value different things. Some people value tuition reimbursement programs. Some people value high bonuses. Some people value high pay. And international students value a green card. Like, you could put um, money that would have gone into an international worker's bonus pool towards their green card. And I, I would tell you, 
very confidently that 90% of them wouldn't object. If I had been asked a year or two ago, hey, next year, the money that we were going to put in your bonus pool, we're going to put it towards your green card fund. I wouldn't have had any problem with that because a green card would mean more to me um, than a bonus. And this is where... These kind of misconceptions happen because international students, international workers are not part of the dialogue. Um, These policies are being spread by people who know very little about the process, who are not part of the community. And that's why we need to find our voice. We need to be able to be our own advocates. And if it's not something that works for us, really ask yourself, do I want to stay here that badly? Mm-hmm. And and sometimes the answer might be yes. This is where we, we don't represent the entire international student body, but for me, the answer was no. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wish I had been more true to myself in that sense, and that's where I'm saying really think about what your long-term goal is here, um, and don't be afraid to ask for a company to assist you with your visa like it's it's such it's not a lot and an h1b is actually a bigger gamble than a green card a green card is a process but at the end of the day if done right you'll get it where an h1b it's a lottery so sorry i might i feel like i might have gone on a tangent there but this is something that's so i think personally now i'm feeling like the weight of it a lot more than I, I did a couple of years ago and I, I keep at wondering why didn't I bring it up earlier on like why was I so scared for asking for something that would have made such a difference in my life um, when I knew I was already putting in the work I didn't have anything more to prove for my company so that's why I encourage all of my friends who are starting off the job search process don't be scared. Don't be scared to request these things earlier on. And if you're met with defiance and if you see um, pushback, then is that a company that you want to work for? You want to work for a company that would do this for you. Absolutely. I think that's a question that you just you need to ask on a lot of different levels. Like, is this because you want to be working for a company that aligns with your values, that is excited to have you as much as you're excited to be there. Um, although that sounds like a luxury thing to ask for, it's really not. It's very achievable. Um, but I want to address a couple of things that you mentioned, Sanini, about asking for a green card earlier on in your career. I, I think there's a logistical, a couple of logistical things that, that go into it because, A, like the system is not designed for you to know about the possibility of a green card. Like it is a far away dream at first when it's advertised. It's like, oh, you get OPT, maybe OPT extension, and then you go on an, an H-1B. So the, the information of it is lacking, but but it's lacking also because like you graduate from college, entry-level jobs are like, they can find people easily for it. So so the, the green, like asking for green card earlier on might be a little bit of a risky move. But if you've been working there for a couple years and you know that your position is definitely worth keeping and you've been working hard for it like don't be afraid to to negotiate for that benefit like don't be afraid to negotiate for the green card aspect of it especially if you know that you want to stay there there's no reason for them to like dangle the three years in front of you and like have have you chase it around like a little puppy so that that I would I would definitely add on and and my experience was a little bit different from Sneeze in a way that um, Sanini worked for a, a little bit of a bigger company. I worked for a startup when I when I started out my career, and 
H-1B was never on the table. Um, they knew I had studied science, so I had the two-year extension. The company wasn't even e-verified, by the way. Um, and I was just having this conversation with an international student that actually ended up finding a job with with a wonderful, like extremely coveted company for back-to-back interviews. She finally got the job and they said, oh, we're not e-verified. Um, and, and she didn't push for it. So e-verification is... A process that takes 10 minutes, literally 10 minutes out of the HR's time to e-verify the company. If they're a legal company functioning in the U.S., paying their taxes, there's no reason why they shouldn't get the e-verification, like e-verification approval. Once they do that, you can get hired. So if you ask them if they're an e-verified company after your two-year stint um, or after your one-year stint, then you get your OPT extension. And if a company's like, oh, we're not e-verified, tell them you can get e-verified right away. Send them the link. Be like when we say be an advocate, like do it on every level, because if you're informed and you can help inform the HR about the processes, like, hey, it doesn't cost that much to to actually sponsor us. It doesn't take that much of your time to actually e-verify your company. These are the things that HR people don't know. And the minute they hear that you're international, it scares them. So you have to help almost like educate them. Yeah, that's part of their job to know this stuff. But Sometimes they just don't care to know. So you kind of have to, you have to be in front of these things to help them keep informed. So e-verification, very easy thing to do. For my process for the H-1B application, it was actually me and a couple other girls that also needed the H-1B. So we, we, we banded together. We got ourselves a lawyer and we said, hey, we've consulted with these lawyers. This is literally, we came up with a proposal for the company to sponsor us. And because this was a small startup company um, and we were one of like the, the most like valuable employees we understood our value and we understood that it didn't cost the company that much time or money to apply for an h1b for us so essentially we brought the case up to the ceo and he approved for us to get an application in for an h1b so so you can don't forget that you can always like find it especially if you build relationships really well within your company you can actually get that application and you can advocate for yourself and you can get it done so don't be afraid to speak up that's that's one of our really i think our major push points for this episode is speak up for yourself and and speak up often. Yeah. Um, I really, I agree with everything that you said. I think one thing to add to, um, like the point that I made about the green card, you're right. A lot of times there could be certain requirements in terms of specialization. And I know they present it as a hierarchy of like OPT first, then H1B, then green card. But it doesn't always go that way. And there are people who actually get green cards for entry-level positions. It, it really differs um, on a case-by-case basis. So I would say, and again, this is where a lot of the misconceptions came in. I thought that you had to have an H-1B mm-hmm. for you to apply for a green card. So that's mm-hmm. why I never even thought I could bring it up earlier on because I was like, oh, I wouldn't even be eligible. But that's not the case. That's the thing. There's there's a lot out there that is out there by people who and it it was spread out there by people who know very little about the process as a way to discourage you from even thinking about it but I'm saying bring it up earlier on to gauge first of all where the company is at because right now we're it's it's a little bit of a, a different time in terms of the rhetoric that's out there about immigration and international workers as a whole so there could be a lot of companies that say oh, you know, we're not going to sponsor, have a hard case on that. And yes, there could be instances where you get in and you form relationships and you might be able to change that or you might not. So it's good that you know that on the spot. So don't be so scared about your 
your situation that you completely shield yourself from having any insights about where the company is at that's why i'm saying look at international friendly um companies Mm -hmm. um and really take ownership of your narrative that's what i didn't do i just kind of I would ask about it and whatever it was that I was told, I'd be like, oh, okay, you're right. Makes sense. Oh, green card? Uh, maybe next year when you get promoted. I was like, yeah, you're right. Totally makes sense. Get you a lawyer. I, the first time I spoke with an immigration lawyer and I've been in this country for eight years was a month and a half ago. And that's such a, I don't even have anybody else to blame but myself. And the, that 30-minute conversation I had with him I realized just how little I knew and I wish I had this conversation four years ago. So that's why while you're graduating, talk to an immigration lawyer, figure out what your options are. Don't be scared to ask the question to say, hey, um, is a sponsorship uh, or a future sponsorship part of my benefits package? And if the answer is no, that's when you then have to make a decision. Are you okay with working for a company that's telling you right now as they're trying to get you which is supposed to be like the most i don't know that's when they're trying to that's when they're trying to woo you that's trying to that's when they're trying to show you that they like want you if they're gonna say to you then then are you gonna change their mind that's when you're gonna need to have a very internal Mm -hmm. conversation and gauge um the next step so that's what i mean by like bringing it up earlier on and i know I think bringing it up earlier on means that you might not have a lot of um, negotiation power because, sure, when you're coming in right out of um, college, you know, you don't have the experience, you don't have the industry knowledge, so you're like, what am I really bringing to the table? But if they're willing to pay for you to work there, if they're willing to give you a paycheck, like, think of that as part of the compensation package. This isn't anything additional. This is just part of a benefits you'd get for working there. You're giving them your your time. You're giving them your energy. So why can't they do this thing for you that will help you in your career trajectory? You getting a green card helps you work for them. Like, that's the thing that they don't get. Like, that you're if most times if you're working to get a green card you're just trying to stay in the country to continue working there in most cases so it's like anyways that's a, that was like a personal um mm-hmm. point that i rant. wanted to personal rant um but i think another uh, another thing is um and this is where you know we don't think about the things that we bring to the table the things that make us unique so think about your international profile because most international workers what are they bringing they're bringing two perspectives most of them are multilingual bilingual um so look for opportunities that really leverage the international aspect of your profile and there are plenty because we're living in such a a global society right now you know where a lot of companies have um, bases in multiple countries. They're multinational. Maybe they're dealing in they're dealing with a bifurcated workforce. So you already have even outside of your college degree, you have something to bring to the table. So look for opportunities that really leverage that. And there there are a lot. It could be international development companies, you know, consulting firms, and and I'm sure there there. They exist in all industries, but 
I think really using that to your advantage and honing in um, that aspect of your um, experience along with your technical skills, along with your educational background is is really key. Nuggets of wisdom, y'all. Nuggets of wisdom. Yeah. And these are all things that we learned the hard way. I mean, I don't want to make our experiences sound harder than they were. I think, you know, we were also very fortunate to have had people to help us with the process. I think one person I would personally like to shout out was um, Ruth, uh, Ruth Kapeda. If she's listening and she went to Smith. She, okay, whatever. Let's forget. Not Mount Holyoke, (laughs) the wrong women's college. But, uh, she was, she was one of those people who I was having like continuous conversations with. I sent her so many iterations of my cover letter and my resume. Um, so Tapping into those relationships, I think, is key um, because the people around you, even the people who are going through the process with you, I think they can be a great resource, um, just a second set of eyes. I was just uh, telling uh, JJ here that I had... They um, know me as Metty. Thank you very much. Okay. But I was showing her a resume that I had sent out and there was a a big fat typo. Damn. I'm now (laughs) embarrassed. On the first page, it was literally the first word. I misspelled professional. And I was so embarrassed that I didn't even like follow up with a new version. I was like, they shouldn't hire. She shouldn't be hired. If if they follow, if they follow up saying, hey, we want to interview you, I would actually point out, hey, I actually made a typo. I don't deserve to do you actually want to, you want to ask me about my weaknesses first? I know. Like spelling. But, uh, but like, you know, had I like sent that to you, you probably would have caught, I mean, maybe you wouldn't have caught it. I would have definitely caught it. <laughs> definitely caught but, it. It's in bold. That's a, literally I the know, first word after her and name. And it's underlined. Blue. Yeah, it, was a, it, was a, it was a difficult moment. Yeah, it was everything. Um, but <laughs> I'm just cracking up thinking about it right now. <laughs> but um, I, uh, I mean, I think, I think we touched on a lot of different things. But at the end of the day, it's it's frustrating. It's hard. It's it's a really. Um, it's a weird point in your life where you're expected to sell yourself. I think it's the first time. I mean, I know the college application process is also similar in the sense that you have to sell yourself. But I feel like this is very different because the process is more nuanced. Um, and you're having to like, you're having a lot of one-on-one interactions. You're having interviews. And if you get rejections, it feels very personal um i mean i would say for college you were selling your accomplishments because i remember like filling in like all the extracurriculars i did i was like oh i played basketball i did red class like i was like all these things and i filled out all the spots and then i needed an extra and i was like so happy about that i was like these are all the things i did whereas now you walk out and it's like you have to say these are all the things i am and that's much Mm -hmm. harder to prove right so that rejection feels like it's a rejection of who you are as a person. So I know it might sting and we can't sit here and tell you, oh, don't let it hurt. It's going to hurt. Um, you know, every um, every application that you don't hear back on or every application that you get a rejection on, don't it's going to sting a little bit. But I would say um, 
understand that the process is complicated. Um, you know, for international students, really map out your long-term goal. Make it clear to yourself early on what it is that's important to you and take steps um, towards making that happen. And if, you know, staying in this country is a, is a big priority, I would say start the process early on so that you could gauge um, what that company's history is in terms of sponsoring international students. If they're going to put you through the H-1B Unfortunately, it's a lottery. It's it's a process where you have very little control. It's a lottery. But the earlier you do it. Right. The earlier you do it, the more chances that you have. So I know a lot of companies who make you wait to do it until your second or your third year. And at that point, it's your last year of your OPT. So really make sure you understand these um, setbacks so that you're communicating that to your managers and your HR partners. And you're saying, hey, you making me wait another year, I get it. You're trying to gauge if it's if I'm worth the investment. But that's also putting both of us at risk mm-hmm. because you're not giving us enough time to go through the process again, to go through the lottery again. So honestly, I think if if you were to walk away with one thing from this podcast, I would say educate yourself about your, your visa status and your options um, and don't be scared to bring it to the forefront of the conversation because the companies that get scared by it are the companies that you don't want to be working for um, long term. Because if they're scared by it at the beginning, two, three years into it, even if they change their mind, I don't think they're going to help you in a way that you need to be helped. And it is a, it's not as complicated as people might make to make it sound, the H-1B, the green card, but there need to be a lot of stakeholders that are in 100%. You can't go through it with somebody that's 75% in, somebody that says, hmm, maybe we'll think about it. If they're in, they need to be in. So if they're hesitant from the get-go, then I think you need to decide if those are the people that you would like to work for. Yeah, Absolutely. We'd say, stay woke, fam. Stay woke about the rules. Stay woke about yourself. Stay woke about the company. That's those are gems. Those are all the all the messages that we we conveyed in this uh, podcast. We hope you enjoyed listening. We hope you enjoyed listening, and to the seniors who are about to graduate. Good luck, fam. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I mean, I would say, don't overthink the process. I mean, it's. It's complicated, it's nuanced, it's intricate, but at the end of the day, it's doable. It's doable. doable. And you you got this. Honestly, you got this. You have resources around you. Um, You have support. We're, you know, reach out to us on social media if you have any questions. We're always happy to help with whatever. And there are a lot of people who've gone through People who went through it are the ones who are eager to help the most because they recognize versions of themselves in the people who are reaching out. Every time, I think I've gotten maybe like three or four emails from seniors um, saying, hey, could you help me through? And I was like, it was very emotional. It was emotional because I was like, oh, my God, this was like me four or five years ago. So... I think those are the ones who are going to be the most eager to help you. But um, okay, so this is Team and Jerger on the job search process. Um, I'm Sunini. This is Matty. We are out. Mm-hmm.